What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We're a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. We are still pumping out daily content over there, which we are going to have until the end of the regular season and beyond. We still got daily pickup articles, of course, this show, and a bunch of other content, including weather-related stuff, bullpen articles, and a ton more that you can find at EthosFantasyBB and also at SportsEthos.com. That is the website if you guys do not use Twitter slash X still usually call it Twitter on here just to keep things simple. We're going to have a little bit of fun today. Over the weekend and early this morning, I was starting my 2024 ranks because I'm kind of just a degenerate, and this is what I do a lot of the time is look at baseball and fantasy baseball, and it's been starting to turn in my head how I want to start to approach things for next year. And also, you know, as the season ends, there's going to be opportunities for early drafts, and I'm not sure when the first one is that I'm going to hop into, but honestly, I'll hop into a 2024 draft whether it's a free league or a money league, like as soon as I'm able to, uh, just to just for fun, honestly, because you know we do this because we love it. At the end of the day, uh, I don't think anybody plays this strictly for a profit or strictly for anything other than make you know having fun, um, you know, making friends when you're playing this, and you know, there's different aspects of it. But it all comes back to having a good time, and for me, uh, drafting all through the year, like drafting is my favorite part of this whole thing. Uh, and hopefully we'll be doing those sooner rather than later. So I was starting to pull together some rankings, and I'm going to talk about where I landed here for my top 20 as of right now. Things will change a little bit. I don't imagine they're going to change drastically over the last couple weeks of the season. You know, if there's injuries, that would be the only real thing. Um, If someone goes on like a stupid heater and hits 10 home runs over the last two weeks of the season, then maybe you think, you know, you take a look under the hood and see what caused that, and they probably end up moving up your rankings as well. But generally, this is what things are going to look like for me uh, to start next year. Number one is pretty obvious, I think. In most places, this one is going to be super obvious right now. Ronald Acuna Jr. Now, you're going to make this argument... um, Pretty much in every single format of every single league, wherever you're playing, you could have made the argument, and the argument was true in years past, that if you're playing on ESPN, Shohei Otani in a daily changes league, you can put him in there as a batter, you could put him in there as a pitcher when he's on the mound, it's ridiculously overpowered to draft him, you take him first overall, and then it's your game over, Like you've, you've pretty much won the league at that point, uh, you, you're getting two players and one, two first round values essentially, in one there, Otani's not going to pitch next season. Otani will be strictly a batter. We'll get to him later on in these rankings. He's going to be an interesting one as well because we're not sure exactly if he's going to have surgery. That would probably push him back a little bit as a hitter as well in terms of his timeline. They've said that they're not sure if he's going to have Tommy John surgery or not. So that will kind of impact how we view this. Um, but we'll talk about him later. But because he's not going to be pitching, he is not an option at number one, in my opinion, in any format. And even in an NFBC format or, or really any format where you have you know the option there of even if it's a weekly setting like the NFBC, um, Yahoo's different because it's two players. But any format where you have one Otani, you could have made a legitimate case that he is number one if you want to utilize him as a pitcher, as a hitter, whatever. All that being said, he's not pitching next year. So it is Ronald Acuna Jr., I think, pretty handily. If you look at those websites, such as Rasball, which is a good site for looking at player dollar values, how valuable has a player been this season. You know, we talk about a lot of the time Yahoo rankings because that's kind of the easy fallback 
Um, a lot of players play on Yahoo. That's what a lot of players see. A lot of players don't use Rasball, but it is a very good calculator. Uh, if you're just seeing from a dollar value how much a player has earned this season in terms of their value, Acuna is so far ahead of the rest of the field. You really just have to go and check out their site just to see how dominant Acuna has been in all five categories here. 135 runs at this point of the season is just a ridiculous amount. 13 ahead of the number two uh, in Freddie Freeman. And of course, the 66 stolen bases is ridiculous as well. 66 stolen bases is a ridiculous number. There's still a decent chance that he gets to 70. Uh, You know, I don't think he's going to win the batting title at this point. Uh, arises at 353, Acuna's at 337. Anything can happen over the last couple of weeks, but regardless, he has been a huge positive, one of the biggest positives in batting average, in stolen bases, in runs. He's also got 37 homers and 98 ribbies. He's in an amazing lineup. There's no reason to think that they're going to be any worse next year. Same group of guys is locked up forever. This is going to be the same conversation we're going to be having every year now for the next God knows how many years I'm going to do this show. Let's say it's 10 years. We're going to be having the same conversation as every year about how dominant the Braves lineup is going to be because all those guys are just locked up long-term. So Ronald Acuna batting at the top of that lineup, as long as he's healthy, is going to be able to produce seasons like this. Are they going to be exactly like this every single season? Probably not to this degree. We'll probably see, I don't expect to see steals at the same exact level next year, kind of across the board. That's not just an Acuna thing. But I think teams will adjust. Maybe the league will adjust a little bit. There will be there will be some changes, whether it comes from teams or the league, that probably scale back the amount of stolen bases that we've seen. I could be wrong on that. But I don't expect him to hit 70 stolen bases again. Regardless, he'll still be a ridiculous asset, even if it's 50 steals, even if it's 45, 40 steals. Everything else that he's doing, 135 runs is absurd. Bat in 337. Over 600 at-bats now is just ridiculous as well. Uh, for me, he is the clear... The clear number one player. Number two, you know, some people will make an argument that he should maybe be number one, but I'm going to go with Mookie Betts right here. I think the positional eligibility is going to be huge next season. He's going to have second, short, and outfield eligibility. I believe on every platform, like for sure on um, you know the Yahoos and the ESPNs of the world, I'm just going to take a look at his appearances. Uh, so it's 59 times he's been at second and only 16 times at short. I don't know if he's going to get four more appearances at shortstop before the end of the season to get that for NFBC leagues. But even if you're just talking second and outfield uh, for Mookie Betts, that is really, really valuable. Not to mention the production you've gotten out of him. 39 homers, 121 runs, 103 ribbies, 13 steals. He's batting 310. He is obviously in an elite lineup. It's not to the same uh, degree as the Braves, I don't think they're not they're not as offensively potent. I don't think anybody is, but we're still talking about an incredible lineup where Betts is going to be there, batting leadoff again. You know, similar situation to Acuna. The stats aren't going to be as gaudy in terms of the stolen bases, batting average probably not as much as well. Uh, but he is, I think, pretty clearly, especially considering you can put him in the infield and the outfield. Uh, that's incredibly valuable stuff to have. Uh, for a player who produces to that degree when you are able to have that positional versatility as well. Sometimes you'll think, well, I'm not going to move him around at all once I draft him there. A lot of the times you're not. You know, if you draft him in a certain place, you're not going to move him around. But you never know how the season's going to work out. You draft him in the outfield, and you have your second baseman that you draft go down. You put him in the second base slot. That, that's a very realistic scenario for a lot of teams. So I think Mookie bets because of a lot of different factors, but the eligibility uh, definitely helps as well. He is my number two player for next season. 
Now, number three and number four are kind of joined together. It's Julio Rodriguez and then Bobby Witt Jr. They're both very, very close for me. The, the value that they provide across all five categories is ridiculously good as well. I think Julio has a bit of a higher floor in terms of his batting average. Now, we've seen Bobby Witt pull it up to 278 this year after 254. But I think Julio, after going 284 last year, he's 287 this year. <clears throat> I think there's a little bit more stability uh, in his batting average where everything else is going to be pretty damn close. Uh, they're within nine runs. They're within one homer. They're within nine RBIs. And then, of course, Bobby Witt does have, <clears throat> excuse me, he does have the advantage in stolen bases. <clears throat> excuse me, guys. Bobby Witt does have the advantage in stolen bases, but I think in the climate we are in, where generally, even though I think that stolen bases will be scaled back a little bit next year, they're still a little bit more. Uh, they're still a little bit more frequently found than you're going to get a guy who is going to have a lot of batting average over a huge plate appearance span, like 600 plate appearance or 600 at bats, like Julio Rodriguez has. I think the difference in the steals is going to be fairly negligible if you're talking about 10 steals there, but you're going to be talking about, I know, I think probably a 20 point difference in the batting average. I think I'll probably take Julio there uh, in a lot of cases. Again, you could flip flop them. I don't have a huge problem with it. I also think Seattle has a better offense around uh, Julio than you're going to find in Kansas City around Bobby Witt. You know, you got nine more runs and you got nine more RBIs for Julio. Uh, he is the guy that I'm taking there, but Bobby Witt, no problem at number four either. Now, number five, I got Freddie Freeman. He always kind of seems to be undervalued. He genu generally does kind of go in the back half of the first round range. I do think he'll move up to the middle of the first round, if not even like closer to the top half of the first round. Last year was a top five season. This year, he's doing more of the same. He's actually you know better pretty much across the board last year than he was uh, in 2022. More runs, more homers, more steals, and a better batting average. He's shy of seven RBIs uh, of what he had last year, but he is also shy about 30 uh, at-bats of what he had last year. So there's a decent chance that he's able to surpass himself in all five categories at this stage of his career. He's stealing more bases. I don't know if that's going to maintain if he's going to steal another 20 bases next year, but I think you can look at like a 10 floor there to go along with ridiculously high batting average and counting stats and, of course, solid power. You know that Freddie Freeman is going to give you, you know, last year was kind of the outlier 21 homers. You know he's going to give you somewhere in the 25 to 30 range. That's who he is. Will he start to decline? I don't know. He hasn't. He's actually gotten better over the last couple of years, so I don't really have any reason to doubt Freddie Freeman, especially, you know, same situation as Mookie, in an incredible lineup there, uh, batting right behind him for the Dodgers. So he is number five for me. If you want to go even higher on Freddie Freeman, I wouldn't be really opposed to it. He is, he is really, truly excellent. Number six for me is Corbin Carroll. Been a huge Corbin Carroll fan for you know the entire season. I have a couple shares, and he has just been a joy to watch on my teams. 47 steals, 24 homers, 104 runs. Uh, he's batting 279. He did have a bit of a bad stretch there uh, about a month ago. He picked it up, but for a while, his batting average was kind of going down in the 200 range for about a month there. Now we're back up at the 280 range because he's batting 330 over the last month. I do think long-term we're looking at like a 280 to 300 hitter with great speed and great power. That lineup is pretty damn solid around him as well. You know, you got 104 runs, 70 ribbies. You can see that there's no real shortage there. Um, his bat, he's usually batting first, second. It, he has kind of moved around a little bit. I think he is probably like a, a great number two hitter. Uh, solidly, I'd like to see him in that role, either one or number two. But I think I think he's probably a number two hitter there, and put somebody with a little bit of a higher average uh, number one ahead of him. And you might even be able to see more RBIs going forward out of him. Seventy is probably a, a pretty low mark for him. 
I would expect to see more than that going forward. He's a five-category stud. He's just going to get better and better, I think. He is excellent, and I have no problem here uh, putting him at number six. Now, I do have Otani at number seven. We touched on him earlier. This is going to depend as well on their plan for him. If they do decide to go the route of Tommy John surgery, he's probably definitely going to miss the first couple months of next year as well. I know everybody points to Bryce Harper. He came back in like the shortest amount of time ever. That's been the exception. I, you know, you can say that it's maybe a rough timeline, but you you can't go in there saying, yeah, he is definitely going to to come back in the same timeline that Bryce Harper did. It's just not, you know, a cookie cutter situation where everybody's body is going to heal in the same way. So uh, I don't I don't know. You still have to kind of wait and see, and that's why this is, you know, there's not really a purpose for doing these rankings other than for myself and I, you know, just sharing it with you guys, my own thoughts. This is more for, like like I said, if I'm doing early drafts right now, it's a good thing that the majority of people don't have to make those decisions on Shohei Otani because, I, you know, if they think that he's going to have Tommy John surgery, I'd rather they do it yesterday as opposed to waiting around and seeing what happens and getting a million different opinions and blah, 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 whatever. But we'll have to see what their course of action is and, of course, where he goes. Uh, you have to assume at this point it's probably going to be the Dodgers. It doesn't look like the relationship is great with the Angels. The fact that he's cleared out his locker, he's going to go do surgery on his own. If he does have surgery, he's doing his own doctors. He's, he's doing that outside of the team because he's going to be a free agent. doesn't look the greatest in terms of him going back there. You have to assume the Dodgers probably. We don't really know. But wherever he's going, it's going to be a better offensive situation. If he doesn't have the surgery, there's no reason to think that he can't you know, still bat uh, that he can't, and even if he does have the surgery, come back and still give you pretty close to Shohei level production. Now he's been, you know, if you look at those player rankings across various different sites about a top five player this season in terms of totals. And he's also missed the last like three weeks for a long time. He was number two there behind Ronald Acuna. So there's no reason to think that he can't produce something similar to that. The batting isn't going to be terribly impacted by the injury based on the history uh, that we've seen from UCL injuries. I, I don't think it's going to impact him as a batter too, too much. But, I, you know, that's why this is an early ranking, and we're going to have to see. He's also got the oblique, which I don't think is too serious, but we'll also just have to see uh, what happens exactly over the course of the offseason. Kyle Tucker is number eight for me. Kyle Tucker is you know, just going to be a solid perennial first-rounder, another guy who's in a stupidly excellent lineup, a guy who in and of himself just produces 283 batting average. We kind of knew that was going to bump back up this year. He had a really, really bad April in 2022, and that kind of dragged his average down for the whole season. Even though the rest of the season was very good, he still only finished at 257. This year he's at 283. He's got 27 homers, 28 steals, 105 ribbies, and 87 runs scored. 87 runs is excellent for Kyle Tucker. A lot of people are worried about where he's going to bat in the lineup, and sometimes it does frustrate you. He's batting fourth, fifth, whatever, usually you know, not a second or third like he would be on most teams, but still having 87 runs with a couple weeks to go, you think he's probably going to end up with like the 90, 95 range for runs. You'll take that to go along with what will probably be 110 ribbies and a decent chance still of a 30-30 season if he gets three homers and two steals here. <clears throat> Over the next couple weeks, then you're talking about a 30-30 season for Kyle Tucker. Either way, in that lineup, in the middle of it, he's not going to be somebody who's starved for counting stats wherever he is. Uh, he is somebody that I'm taking as the number eight player right now. Number nine is where people will probably start to give me a little bit of flack, but I'm going with Spencer Strider. Spencer Strider has been absolutely 
dominant this season. If you're looking at starting pitcher rankings, a lot of the time you'll see Garrett Cole, Luis Castillo, and then Strider as the number three behind them. And a lot of that is due to the rather inflated ERA that we've seen from Spencer Strider. Now, whatever you want to think about the the Cy Young case this year, there is part of me that does think maybe his ERA is a little bit too high. But at the same time, ERA, like a lot of smart people have pointed out, is more of a team stat than an actual player stat. It's not just the pitcher who controls his ERA. So maybe we shouldn't give that too much, uh, too much, you know, uh, weight in terms of the discussion. Even though it's going to get a lot of weight here either way. But you're talking about a guy who has across the board pretty much the best pitching indicators looking forward. You're going to have to think that that's going to give him the best situation. You know, of all pitchers in baseball, the best. It- possible guy who's you know going to give you the potential sorry for the the word salad there a guy who's more likely than not going to pitch to a three or less era when there's not really a lot of guys who are likely to do that a lot of people are going to be proven wrong over the next few years when spencer strider goes out there and just gives you these ridiculously dominant close to 300 if not more than 300 strikeout seasons going forward with sub three eras the strikeouts are a huge thing. He is far and away the strikeout leader this season, 37 ahead of the number two strikeout guy, Kevin Gosman. He also has more wins than anybody else in Major League Baseball, 17 because he pitches for the best team. So when you look at the strikeouts, you look at the victories, you look at the ERA numbers or the ERA indicators, I should say. I don't think there's any question that Strider has to be the consensus number one starting pitcher going into next year. There will be people who have Garrett Cole. There will be some people who maybe have Luis Castillo. Maybe some people even go with Kevin Gosman. I'm not sure how. Maybe maybe somebody goes Woodruff. I I don't know exactly how it's going to play out. Again, it's very early. But I think there's a lot of different factors that go Strider's way. And for me, he's a pretty clear number one. Now, I am taking him here. This is kind of the point where I think you get a slight little bit of a fall off from those top eight guys in terms of the production you're getting. The top eight guys are all five category producers. You know, we're going to talk about Freddie Freeman stolen bases. Is he going to be able to keep it up? Even if Freddie Freeman's giving you 14 stolen bases instead of 20 this year, you're still getting like a 340 batting average with 110 and 110 or whatever whatever he ends up with. Like, it's ridiculous. Uh, I'm like projecting forward for next year. It'll probably be another 100 and 100 kind of season for him in terms of runs and RBI. So I'll give him the break on a little bit of a stolen base deficit. But those top eight guys for me, are really solidly above the rest of the field. You can make some arguments for guys that are a little bit lower down. I personally am not. That's why I put Strider here, because after those guys who I think, you know, you have those guys every single day contributing, I think there is more inherent value to them than there is the pitchers, even though there are, you know, five pitching stats, there's five hitting stats. But for starting pitchers where you're going you're gonna to be taking starting pitchers earlier, you're only looking at four categories. You're not looking at five categories. They're not going to get you saves. So there is you know, some deficit that you're going to have there as opposed to, you know, even if you're talking about the best starting pitcher as opposed to the best position player. So those eight guys for me, again, Acuna, Betts, J-Rod, Witt, Freeman, Carroll, Otani, and Tucker are ahead of everybody else on the, uh, in the field for me. And then Spencer Strider would slot in there after those, you know, there's other five category contributors we're going to talk about, but those guys are, are head and shoulders for me. Uh, ahead of the rest, and then I think Strider fits in nicely there behind them. After him, at number 10, I got Corey Seager. I got a little bit of pushback when I posted this out on Twitter, but Corey Seager has been, you know, if you're looking at the player rater, about the 16th best player, 15 if you're looking at Yahoo, in 106 games. You know, you give him a whole season, you're looking at somebody who could potentially be, you know, not the number one probably, especially not this year with Acuna, but like a top five, top seven player pretty easily 
31 homers, 92 ribbies, 83 runs, a 337 batting average in only 427 at-bats, projecting forward in a lineup that looks to be very good uh, for a long time. A lot of good pieces there, Uh, good young pieces there as well to go along with Seager and Semyon locked up. Like They're looking very solid for the next several years. There's no reason to think that Seager can't give you close to a top 10 fantasy season over the course of a whole year, assuming he's healthy. So no problem with him at number 10. I have Jose Ramirez at number 11. I think that he's just unexceptional, partly because of the offense that is around him. Not to say that he in and of himself is unexceptional, but the batting average is good, not amazing at 280. Like, it's still very, very good. But considering you're getting, you know, only 83 runs, only 78 RBIs, that was a huge thing last year for him. The offense was a lot better, and he had 126 RBIs. This year, the offense is a dumpster fire. He has 78 RBIs. The home runs and the stolen bases are about in line with last year. You know, last year was 29 and 20. This year is 24 and 25. So you're not looking too far off there. Let's say he gets the 26 or 27 and, you know, 27 and 27 or whatever. That's, that's pretty in line. A few more steals, which was expected. I just don't think that he is, you know, a contention for number one player anymore, especially considering I think third base has gotten a little bit deeper. I don't think it's going to be such a scarce position, and I'm also kind of moving off of that thought that you need to lock up those scarce positions just because of the amount of free agents that pop up throughout the year on the waiver wire in terms of the call-ups that we saw last year and are likely to see again next year. I'm not going to be pushing guys up solely because of their position, and Ramirez was kind of one of those guys a little bit. Like, the stat line was good, but I think we artificially pushed him up a little bit strictly because he played third base. I'm not going to do that again next season. I think he's very good. I think he's excellent. Again, I have him ranked 11th. I think he's the first-rounder but I don't have him in that same exact category uh, as the other guys ahead of him. Now, number 12, I have Fernando Tatis Jr. He's just kind of been not as exceptional as we thought coming off of that surgery. He's batting 262, 25 homers, 26 stolen bases, 86 runs, and 77 ribbies. Now, there's a decent chance that he comes out and he's the number one fantasy player next year. He may move up in my rankings as time goes on as I sit and think about things over the next few months. But he's kind of been unexceptional this year, and that's kind of, you know, the whole team has been unexceptional. Soto has picked it up, and Soto's, you know, end-of-season stat line is going to look very good. We'll get to him pretty soon. Machado, you know, he's picked it up a little bit over the middle part of the season, but, I mean, overall it's still been disappointing season. Bogarts is whatever. The rest of the team, they, you know, Kim has been great, but overall they've been very disappointing. And part of that is Tatis. You know, he's been, you know, by for a lot of players, this would be a career year, 25 homers, 26 steals. Uh, but for his standards, for what we were expecting, it's not quite there. Now, the potential for him to be a number one player is still very much in play. I think he might have been a couple of years ago the number one player, at worst, like number two uh, during that big breakout year he had. But I just can't see him in that same breath as the guys we mentioned at the top right now. Again, I just, I just can't see it. He does have shortstop and outfield eligibility. Next year, he'll just be an outfield guy. For what that's worth, he will lose. Uh, that positional eligibility. So I don't know how much that's going to impact people in their drafting, but it is something to consider. You know, that infield outfield versatility was pretty nice for people, but he's not going to have that. But that's not really even it. It's more the fact that he is just maybe not quite uh, the same guy that he was before he had that surgery. I think there was actually a couple of different surgeries that he had for all the different mishaps uh, that he's had over the years. And he's only like 24 years old or something, but there's been a lot. Uh, under the hood there and maybe maybe he's just not quite up to the same level that we thought he was as great as he looks as great as he is especially defensively he's been one of the best defenders in baseball and I think there's a decent chance he comes away with a gold glove this year 
uh, in right field. But at the same time, I just don't think that fantasy-wise, he can be looked at in the same breath as those guys who we have right at the top. I just <clears throat> I just can't see him being um, you know, somebody taking him in the top two or three or four picks. He, there's just too much talent at the top there. I don't think that he fits in uh, at this point. Number 13, we have Trey Turner. You know, there was a good while. I talked on Twitter about this with a few different people. At one point, I said, I can't wait to buy the dip on Trey Turner next year. And for the last month, he has been the number one fantasy player. If you just look at the last month, 29 runs, 31 ribbies, 14 homers, 5 steals, and a 374 batting average for the course of the season. Yeah, you know, it's still kind of been disappointing. But if you just look back a few years from now and you look back at 2023 Trey Turner, you wouldn't think that it was any kind of disappointment because of the way he has turned on the Jets here. 96 runs, 26 homers, 75 ribbies is a little bit lower than we thought. But again, leaving the Dodgers, you kind of did have to expect that was going to go down a little bit. Same stolen base number as last year, which is a little bit disappointing. We were hoping that he would be one of those guys who popped off for a 50-piece in terms of steals. And a 271 batting average is a little bit lower. But the way that he's going, you know, even over the last week, he's still 355. He's not slowing down. Uh, he could very easily end up in the 280s. And then you're, you're thinking, the, you know, pretty much the same Trey Turner season that we always have. He's another guy who could end up as, you know, very close to a top five player, top seven player at worst. I do think, again, there's just such an influx of young talent moving up the board here. Carroll, Witt, Rodriguez, Strider. I, I just don't know that we can put him ahead of those guys. I wouldn't fault you if you wanted to just because there is a longer track record of success. But at this point, I think he pretty comfortably fits in for me at number 13. I got Matt Olson at number 14. Again, a great lineup around him. He is the number two ranked player in a lot of different systems right now, including Yahoo's. 52 homers is ridiculous, 129 ribbies, 117 runs, a 278 batting average. He's been outstanding. I just don't know how likely it is that he goes out there and he hits another 50, let's call it 55 home runs again next season. I think it's probably going to end up more on the outlier side as good of a season as it is. You just don't really see that many players hit 50. You don't really see that many players hit 50 in consecutive seasons. It just doesn't really happen. I think in the lineup that he is in, and he's in a great lineup, you know, great lineup position as well, third or fourth in that order, he is going to mash. He is going to have a lot of runs and a lot of RBIs, and that's why I think he's, you know, depending on your format, a late first, early second rounder. But I don't think that he should be drafted where he finishes this season, which some people will default to last year's rankings and kind of draft from those. I'm not saying a lot of people do that, but some people will get into their drafts not very prepared, look at last year's rankings. See Matt Olson finish, let's see even if he's finished a second or third, and then they'll draft him second or third and say, yeah, he's going to hit another 50 homers. I don't think that that's terribly likely. You're going to get a hell of a lot of runs and ribbies and probably another 40 homers or so, but I don't think it'll be a number two overall season again. I think it is going to be the best fantasy season of Matt Olson's career uh, for what it's worth. That is my opinion at this point. I don't think that one's too likely to change either. Jordan Alvarez at number 15, if we can get an entire Jordan Alvarez season, it doesn't even matter that he doesn't steal bases. The guy is capable of just demolishing baseballs. Only 102 games this year, 28 homers, 93 RBIs in 102 games, 70 runs, and he's batting 300 on the nose. He is a capable, he's capable, and if he is healthy for a full season, he will do it, uh, hit 50 home runs. I don't have any doubt in my mind that he'll hit 50 taters in his career, it will happen. It will happen as long as he's healthy. 
you have to rank him somewhere inside of that top 15 at worst, I think, and that's where I have him here at number 15. The lineup context, again, and that's going to be a very common theme here for a lot of players in these first few rounds. You're not going to see many Oakland Athletics. You know, Bobby Witt's kind of the exception just because he's been able to break that mold over these last two years of you need to be a great, you know, need to have a great team around you to be a great fantasy asset. He's done that despite being on an absolutely shitful Royals team. He's been able to be a top 10 or so player, top seven or eight, depending on where you're looking. Usually you need to see guys on great offenses, and there's no difference there with Jordan or anybody else that we're going to talk about really uh, for that matter, I guess uh, with one exception here, uh, and a couple picks coming up. But Jordan, for me, uh, can very easily be a first-round draft pick in pretty much any format. If you want to push him up inside the top 10, I don't really have a big problem with it at all. Juan Soto, I have at number 16. A lot of people want to take Juan Soto inside the first round. I don't think Juan Soto warrants a first round fantasy pick at this point i think he's comfortably in the second round some people will even want to push him down a little bit farther but i don't think that he is a first rounder well if you look at what he's giving you this year you know he's generally ranked in about the 20s 25 if you look at yahoo 32 homers 10 steals 98 ribbies 87 runs scored and a 266 batting average so that's been the disappointment with Juan Soto these last couple of years it was 242 last year 266 this year now he's batting 458 over the last week with four homers and two steals he's been crushing the ball uh, over these last few games he had a two homer game yesterday against Oakland uh he did hit a grand slam I believe as well but as a whole generally you know the Padres have been disappointing but he's been disappointing now for the last two seasons, and I think that you can't really put him in that same first-round territory considering you don't really have that cushion with batting average like we used to with him, and you don't really have a great cushion with stolen bases. He has 10 this year. He had six last year. If he had four next year, no one would be surprised, right? He's not a big speedster. He could also have 17 next year, and I don't think anybody would be terribly surprised, but you can't really go and bank on it like a lot of other guys you can with their speed. You're hoping for the power to be there, and it usually is. 27 and 32 these last two seasons is, is pretty good, but I don't think you can justify him in the first round. I think in the second round, I think the Padres as a whole are going to rebound, but I don't know that I could put Juan Soto in the same category as these other guys, especially if you look at these outfielders we're talking about going before him. He's certainly not in the Acuna, Betts, Rodriguez territory. He's definitely not in the Carroll territory for me, considering Carroll's you know, more all well-rounded player. Same goes for Tucker. And, yeah, that's it for the outfielders there. I guess Tatis as well. Uh, I keep forgetting that I always default to people's original positions. I still think of Chris Bryant uh, as a third baseman. But um, Jordan, um, sorry, Juan Soto. Juan Soto is, uh, I think, somebody who is pretty solidly uh, outside of the first round in terms of where I want to be taking him. Now, a lot of people are going to make arguments that Juan Soto is 24 years old and this and that. And I, I think that you know people might misunderstand what I'm saying, and may, maybe they won't. But Juan Soto is a better real-life hitter than he is a fantasy hitter, unless you're talking about an on-base percentage league. If you're talking about a league that is on-base or OPS, then his value increases tremendously. But a lot of leagues aren't like that. You have to look at the majority of the leagues. The majority, the majority of the leagues are batting average, and it doesn't matter at all that he walks like, you know, half the time he goes up there pretty much. It's like, I think, 18 or 19%. That doesn't matter in a lot of leagues. Yes, it's going to lead to more runs. But generally speaking, I think in batting average leagues, he's not a first-round player uh, at this point. He's not far 
but I don't think he is inside of that top 12 or even that top 15 for that matter. Austin Riley, I have at number 17. Again, amazing lineup context. We've seen it now over the last couple of seasons that he is going to be giving you top 20, kind of top 30 fantasy seasons going forward. 106 runs this year, 36 homers, 90 ribbies, 277 batting average. Austin Riley is becoming that kind of player where you're, you know, in that's not to say that he is Freddie Freeman, but in the same kind of you you can write down their stats at the beginning of the season, it feels like, these last three years, and you're pretty much you know, you know what you're gonna get out of him. Anywhere from 90 to 100 runs, 30, 36 uh, homers, about 90 to 100 RBIs, and about a 270, 280 batting average. Pretty much every year you're getting the same numbers out of him in those in those big categories. Not, he's not a base stealer. He has three this year, which you'll take. Uh, but you're you're taking him because you're getting that solid bat in again right at the top middle part, two or three range of an incredibly dominant offense that is going to just continue to be dominant. The runs, the RBIs are there. The power is obviously there, and the batting average floor is pretty high. Is he going to bat three hundred again like he did in twenty twenty one? He could potentially. I think he is probably more of a two seventy two eighty guy. But even then. Uh, you're you're going to take that, absolutely, to go along with everything else you get out of Mr. Austin Riley. He is dominant. He is electric. And in that lineup, I think the sky's the limit again for him next year. Could easily return a first-round season. I wouldn't be too surprised. Now i got Aaron Judge up next here at number 18. Again, Judge is amazing. Judge is a, a, an incredible player. He's the one guy, though, I was talking about earlier on that doesn't really have the benefit of an amazing lineup around him. He didn't really last year either. I know Rizzo was was very good last year, and Glaber's good, but overall, like he's pretty much the centerpiece of that offense when he is healthy, and he has been healthy uh, for the last you know since he's come back. I guess he he did miss a good chunk of the season, um, but since he's come back, he has been back. He just hasn't been amazing. The offense around him not great, but he is also batting one ninety two. Uh, over the last month, he only has 334 bats on the season, and again, 32 home runs is amazing in that time frame. But we were kind of, you know, expecting a little bit of regression. The home runs haven't regressed. It's more so the team around him. First of all, he's not going to be able to put up those same kind of counting stats as he did last year. 130 runs, 130 RBIs is unrealistic. The team sucks, but also. He's not really someone who's that prone to staying healthy. I know his injury this year was kind of a freak injury, but I don't know that I'm going to look at him going forward as he gets deeper into his 30s as somebody I want to necessarily be taking in the first round. If he falls to me in the second round of drafts, then probably generally I'll have to consider taking him. But the batting average has been lower. We're not going to see him steal because of that foot. Uh, I don't know if that's going to impact him long term. It certainly has this year. Three steals for the entire year. You're hoping for maybe 10 or 15 coming into the season. Three is not what you were hoping for. Some people took him first overall in their drafts, and it was you know it was justifiable. But at this point, where he is, where the team is, I don't know that I could take him inside the first round. I think here uh, at pick number 18, early, mid-second, I think that's where he belongs uh, for me right now. Number 19 is Marcus Semien. Marcus Semien is just Mr. Consistency now. Uh, usually if you're looking at rankings this season, he's about 20, 22, according to Yahoo, 112 runs, 89 ribbies, 
24 homers, only 14 steals. I thought he would be somebody who, you know, jumped off to 30 steals this year, but only 14 and a very solid 276 batting average. Again, he is somebody who is in an amazing lineup, very common theme today. Pretty much everybody outside of Aaron Judge is in a very, very, very good lineup. Semyon is no different. Batting leadoff for that Rangers team has led to a hell of a lot of runs, a hell of a lot of RBIs, and he himself, you know, 24 and 14, you'll take that. Uh, over the last month, he hasn't been so amazing, uh, only batting 261, uh, but still five homers and two stolen bases, even when he is like in his down parts, you know, when he's not producing the way that you hope, he's still not terrible. Uh, you know, and over the last couple of weeks, if you look over the last two weeks, he is batting 315. Uh, so, you know, very, very, very solid return on your investment overall. And even over the course of the fantasy playoffs, I know they had a bit of a tough series against Cleveland, uh, but batting 315 over these last couple of weeks, I know it does vary on when your season ends. But whatever format you're playing, Marcus Semyon has been a really, really valuable asset. And I think he will just continue to be again at the top of that Rangers lineup again uh, next season. Number 20 is Rafael Devers. Rafael Devers, you know, very similarly to Austin Riley in terms of you know, where they're going to be ranked, where they're going to be compared to. They've had very similar seasons in terms of, in terms of production. I took Riley going into last year. Uh, you know, better lineup around him. I'll take him again next year, but it is very, very close. The Red Sox surprised me. I didn't think the Red Sox would be any kind of potent offense, but they have been uh, by a lot of different metrics, like a top 10 offense in baseball this season. Devers, 33 homers, 98 ribbies, 276 batting average, which is a little bit lower than we were expecting at 276. You'll still generally take it like you were hoping for a 285, 290, maybe even 300. I think 276 is still pretty reasonable. Uh, to go along with the homers, 87 runs scored as well. Again, lineup is very good. Devers at a position where I don't think it's, you know, like I said earlier, not something that I'm going to focus on terribly. But in the second round, you can start to think, okay, I, w- I wouldn't do it like like we did last year with Jose Ramirez because I think that was a mistake uh, where you push a guy up very, very early on just because of their position. Not to say that Ramirez was bad or anything, but he shouldn't have been in the contention. I know hindsight's kind of 20-20 but he shouldn't have been in contention for the number one pick just because of third base, which is kind of what he was. I wouldn't be pushing guys up artificially because of it, but it does check off a box of a position where you're not so sold uh, on your ability to find guys later on. It depends on the draft or it depends on how well you know the pool. Uh, But if you are able to lock it up in the second round with Devers, especially at the back half of the second round, I think that's a really, really wise move here. Uh, considering the production you're going to get. We know he's a stud. He's one of those guys you don't really have to worry about. He's done it over so many years now uh, that I'm very comfortable taking him inside of the first couple of rounds. But that is it for us. That is the first 20 guys that I have ranked so far. Uh, just outside would be Garrett Cole. He was somebody that was you know, in consideration there. Uh, but I think he's going to be somebody that's going to come in at number 21, maybe even 22 uh, probably be pushed up higher in drafts, but we'll see what happens. We have a long off season to get through all of this. If you guys have any questions, uh, you can go check me out. I'm on Twitter at JoeOrico99. Also, Ethos Fantasy BB. You can find all of our baseball content. Some of it's daily, some of it's weekly, and you can also go and check out SportsEthos.com. Tomorrow, we are going to hit you with our second last mailbag show of the year. I'll do another one during the last week of the season, but get your questions in. Again, JoeOrico99. I'll tweet it out tomorrow. You can also just at me if you have questions and I'll get to them on the show. Uh, But until then, guys, have a great night. Take care and cheers.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.